Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. It is show number 42 of the podcast that brings you Fight and Talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head and joining me is Mr. Chimnat Karsandu. How are you, buddy? Very well, Simon. Not too bad. Um, it's raining uh, this evening, Monday the 6th or the 5th of June, sorry. Um, so summertime is well and truly here. Yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, it's been a, a baker day for my daughter, so she hasn't been at school today. Uh, and I've, I've basically said to her, if you behave all afternoon, when the ice cream van comes around, I will buy you an ice cream. The heavens then opened. We've had no ice cream, but we have had tears. So that's my day. <laughs> so I'm kind of glad that I'm now uh, behind the microphone talking to you rather than uh, trying to put my my six-year-old daughter to bed right now so yeah we've uh, but we've had a busy a busy week of it in uh, in the world of mma ufc 212 or 212 depending on how you want to how you want to frame it that took place this past weekend in rio de janeiro brazil jose aldo versus max holloway and i'll be honest leading into this i i picked max holloway and i was really really surprised when the MMA Junkie media picks came out and when I saw other people's predictions on Twitter, just how many people were picking Max Holloway. I honestly thought I was going to be like the uh, the outlier and the exception. I thought most people would go with the proven guy, a guy who looked really good in his last outing as well, as well Jose Aldo. A lot of people picked Max Holloway and as it turned out, we occasionally get these things right, Sandu. He picked up the win and... It really did feel like a sort of change in the guard, didn't it? It did. It did, Simon. Um, you know, even when I gave my prediction, I, I was picking Max on points over five rounds. Um, I thought the volume at, in the end would be enough. And he just, you know, went a little bit further. He went a little bit further. He didn't start off too great. He started out really tentative. Jose Elder got off to a, a really good start in that first round. Um, it was a decent second round, too. But it was, that, it was that third round where Max started to tee off. He gave him a, a Stockton slap, a.k.a. Diaz brother style. And then after that, it just started to kind of you know, reel off some really sick combos. And, um, you know, to go into, you know, Jose's backyard in Rio de Janeiro with all that home support by the hardcore, passionate Brazilian MMA fans um, and to do it in that style, in that fashion, it's absolute class, Simon. The guy's 25 years old. We've literally seen him grow up in the sport, um, and you know he's done it the hard way. He's been humble about the route that he's taken, and all credit in the world to him. He's a, a fantastic champion for the UFC to have. I hope they put the rocket boosters on him and really start to kind of push him to that next level. He's um, he's you know obviously the second ever champion to come from Hawaii. I know he really wants to bring a, a card to Hawaii, and I'd, I'd love to see. I think we all would love to see it, just for the um, the visual aspect of it all. I'm sure a fight week in Hawaii would be amazing, but um, I know there's extremely high tax brackets in Hawaii, um, uh, as well as uh, potential arena issues as well. Having spoken uh, to our good friend John Morgan uh, in Stockholm a few weeks ago, so I don't know how likely that is. But in the here and now, in the moment, just got to celebrate and respect what Matt Holloway was able to do 
on Saturday night in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah, it was a great performance. You say he started slow. He did. He, it was almost like he was sort of sizing Aldo up. He sort of went in, eased his way in first round. Aldo definitely won the first round. And he looked really good, I thought. He was teeing off, really looked sharp, snapping the jab out, landed some really nice combos, was countering really well. And he landed a couple of big knees as well, sort of those those straight straight up knees that catch you as you, as you sort of walk in. He caught Holloway with two or three of those, and Holloway just chewed him up. It was it was really incredible to see. He's got a chin as well as a gas tank, and uh, it was almost as if he got he got to the end, sort of midway through the second round, and thought, "Yeah, I've got this, I've got this guy." And then he just started to turn it up towards the end of the round. A uh, bit of fireworks at the end of round two, and then he took over in round three. Great performance. Um, there have been some comments about uh, Big John McCarthy whether he took too long to stop the fight. I don't know about that. I think uh, when you're a champion and you, you know you're a guy who's been at the top of the sport for as long as Jose Aldo has, you get the benefit of the doubt a little bit when you're in those positions. You know, John wanted to make sure that he was definitely done, and uh, he was still complimentous. He wasn't knocked out or anything. He just wasn't defending himself intelligently. And once you know, once he wasn't doing that, boom, stops the fight. I thought it was a fine stoppage. Good performance from Max Holloway. Um, as I say, Aldo showed no signs of aging or slowing down. So I don't think we can say he is a young challenger overtaking an aging champion. I thought the champion looked good. Holloway just looked better um, and uh, got himself a fifty k uh, fight and a night bonus. So they both got fifty k for that. And. Uh, Max goes on as the undisputed featherweight champion of the world, and uh, he's got some fights to make. Uh, the obvious one, I guess, will be Frankie Edgar, but we will see. We will see. Cub Swanson has been calling for a title shot. Says the UFC need to do him a solid after after he took uh, an unranked opponent in his last fight in Artem Lobov. So uh, we'll see what happens next for uh, for Max Blessed Holloway. Co-main event. I was almost as excited for this fight as I was for the main event. Claudia Gadella subbing Karolina Kowalkiewicz in one round. Three minutes, three seconds, one takedown, done. Um, I don't really think you can do much better than that in a fight at that level, Sandu. She she just, you know, Karolina looked as relaxed as ever before the fight, leaning back against the fence, winking at anybody who wants to look at her. And uh, she started all right. She looked lively. She was moving around, getting strikes out there. Claudia just you know, sort of bided her time, waited for a moment, took the fight down, and the minute the fight hit the mat, it was finished. There was no way Carolina was getting back up. Great performance from the Brazilian. Is she gonna? Is she the next person to challenge, or what are they gonna do? Because Rose Namajunas is next in line, isn't she? Yeah, I thought it was an interesting um, response from Claudia um, after the fight, actually, where she essentially said that although she rankings-wise, is in a position to perhaps fight for um, the title next after, of course, you know, Rose gets the shot. Um, I think she basically essentially said that she doesn't want it right now. She's not. It's not a marketable fight. It's not a fight that the UFC is going to get behind right now. And, um, you know, she's already fought Joanna twice. And for her, she just wants to gonna get back to the grind, improve her game, uh, maybe get another win, maybe two. So it's kind of irrefutable that she should be next in line to get a title shot somewhere down the road, maybe at the back end of this year or maybe early next year. And when she does fight for the title next time, she'll be absolutely ready for it. 
And that's a very kind of mature approach to take in this day and age when, let's be honest, you know, the, the most amount of money you can make is as a champion because that's when you get pay-per-view points. And, you know, women's MMA right now is, is hot, especially in the UFC. So um, that's a very kind of interesting and mature take from Claudia. But in regards to the performance, yeah, she absolutely blasted her way through Carolina. Didn't take any damage. All in all, the perfect night for her. Yeah, she said she wants to move to Albuquerque full time and get a cute dog. That's what I, th- I think that's what she said in a in a post fight interview. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do with her next. She's just she's ranked number one. She's just beaten number two. Number three, Rose Namajunas is next in line. So then you're looking at four, five, and six perhaps for her next fight in say a few months' time. That's Jessica Andrade, Tisha Torres, Michelle Waterson. Uh, Gadella versus Waterson could certainly be sold to a television audience as a as a as a good good relevant fight. You could even headline a Fox card with that, you know, a Fox Sports card with that. So, um, yeah, I thought I thought it was a very very mature sort of reaction. Uh, I think she also knows that having fought Joanna twice, calling for an immediate rematch is unlikely to, you know, bear any fruit at all. So, I think she's doing the right thing. Let the uh, the Rose Nami Eunice. Yuani uh, and Jacek fight pan out. There's also the possibility that the next fight for the belt won't involve Yuani and Jacek because she may, because we know Yuani has expressed the desire to move up to 125 and challenge for the 125 belt once that gets established. We've got a season of tough to negotiate first. But looking at the timelines and all that sort of stuff, if you've got Yuani facing Rosanami Yunus next, chuck three, four months on the end of that, you're at that point where Joanna could challenge the newly crowned 125 champion. And at that point, we may see her vacate the 115 belt, at which point you've then got a, a vacant championship where you could have someone like Claudia taking on uh, anyone in that top six, basically, um, for the vacant title. They may even do what they've done in the past and do an interim title fight uh, and then promote that interim champion. But yeah, I think... I think things are looking good for Claudia Gadella. I think she just bide her time a little bit. Let the uh, let let Yuani and Jacek's next fight pan out and see where her career is going, and either look to make that rematch, or if Yuani's going after the 125 belt, position yourself as the number one person to be in the fight for the vacant belt or for, or for the interim belt. That makes a lot of sense to me. That was a co-main event, uh, and it happened very quickly. One fight that we expected to happen very quickly but didn't, was Vitor Belfort versus Nate Marquardt. Now, Vitor, we know, likes to run in there and bomb people out of there very, very, very quickly. Uh, very, very sort of uh, high tempo, uh, fast twitch, go in there, knock them out as quickly as possible. Um, against fellow veteran Nate Marquardt, who has shown that he can be knocked out. Um, you know, he's, he's punch resistance isn't what he once was. So it was very surprising to me to see Vitor looking pretty gun-shy through three rounds. And it was as if he deliberately had the handbrake on. And there was a lot made in the commentary about the fact he's been training with uh, Firas Zahabi. Uh, and that a lot of that was about being able to last the course if need be. But that wasn't the Vitor Belfort we're used to seeing. And, it's, you know, this might be slightly controversial, I don't know, but... That wasn't an entertaining fight from, from, from where I was sitting. It was it was very slow. You had Nate Marquardt, who had a lot of respect for Vitor's power, and Vitor Belfort, who didn't seem that keen on using any of it. So it was 
it was a bit of a stalemate over three rounds. Um, and uh, it was a very close decision in the end. I, I, I thought it was... It, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had gone to a split decision, to be honest, just because I thought Nate was competitive in all three rounds. So uh, Vitor got the nod and then said he wants five more fights, Sandy. Are they going to happen in the UFC? Where are they going to take place? Well, he's well. Apparently, coming into this fight, it was meant to be the last fight of his contract, so it's supposed to be his kind of um, his last hurrah for the UFC. And then you get to fight week, and it turns out technically he's still got one more fight after this fight on his contract. So as we currently stand and we're talking today, he's got one fight left on his contract as of right now. Now, with that being said. Him asking for five more fights is very interesting because I just don't know how the UFC are going to, um, you know, match, you know, use him, match him up against. You know, I don't, I have no idea. Uh, I think the right place for him to be fighting, if he continues to fight and wants to fight at this stage of his career, is with the Bellator, where they can get him, you know, guys in his age bracket with the same level of experience or what have you. The interesting thing here is, is you've just lost your Brazilian champion in in. in in Jose Aldo. And when you look at your Brazilian fighters who are without a shadow of a doubt legitimate superstars and big time draws in Brazil, Vitor Belfort's up there. He's right up there with Anson Silva. And Anson Silva right now is not a happy camper with the UFC. So if you and it's a market that's important to them. They've got this massive deal with Combache and Globo down there in Brazil, um, who have a lot of, you know, sway. Um, uh, and, and power in regards to the kind of fights I want to see, the matchmaking, the placement of the fights, etc., etc. So, it, it, listen, if if, if, any, if there's ever a, a good time to be negotiating with the UFC, um, if you're a you know a veteran legend Brazilian fighter as Vitor Belfort is, now is the time. Now is the time to do it. So the, the last, I mean, the last thing you know. UFC one is to give him one more fight. He go out, goes out on back-to-back victories, signs with Bellator, who are also interested in, in exploring uh, events, and, and they said they are going to bring an event to the Brazilian market in 2018. So uh, I don't know, but yeah, in terms of the fight, it was a boring fight. What can you say? Yeah, it's, you make a really good point about whether the UFC would give him a deal on the basis of uh, where he's likely to end up if they don't. So. Because Vitor, for me, the logical next fight for Vitor, if he stays in the UFC, if he's, if, if he's got one more fight left, and we assume all things are possible, the fight to make is him and Anderson Silva. Mm-hmm. And to do that in Brazil, because that fight will do a, an enormous amount of business down there. Yep. Um, you know, do, a, do it in Curitiba or, or even go back to Rio. But do a, you know, do a big show around that. But as you say... If Vitor goes in and, and, and starches Anderson Silva um, and then trots off to Bellator on a two-fight win streak, having dethroned the GOAT um, on home soil, you know his stock will, will arguably not have been higher for the last two, two to three years because you know, obviously he was, on that, he was on that amazing run, wasn't he? And then they, uh, you know, USADA came in and they stayed, they pulled the TRT and you know USADA came in after that. And all of a sudden, Vitor's results started to dry up, coincidentally. So, you know, he's now in a position where he could get another big marquee win. This is why I don't know what they're going to do with him. Um, 
because feeding him Nate Marquardt is neither here nor there. Nate, Nate was a world-class, world championship level fighter about four or five years ago, but isn't at that level now. Um, he's kind of gone off the other other end of the cliff, if you like. Are they going to risk sticking him in with an Anderson Silva? Will Anderson Silva take that fight? Or are they going to give him some other sort of like mid-card level guy in a fight that no one is really that you know going to be that interested in? And that'd be a swan song fight. I don't know. It's it's a tricky spot for the UFC. Um, but if you're Vitor Belfort, I think you're in a great position because if the UFC want to keep you around, they'll make it worth your while. If they don't, Bellator will certainly have you. But that's not the end of the negotiation because you can bet Ryzen will be interested in him as well. So, you know, you've got you've got options if you're Vitor Belfort because he's a legend of the sport. A legend of the sport. He, you know, you... You, you look through the history of mixed martial arts. Vitor Belfort figures pretty prominently in there. So uh, he's got he's got plenty of name recognition, uh, you know, a, a good legacy to bring along with him. And I think that will that will mean good things for his bank balance. Whatever happens next, uh, am I that keen on seeing him in the UFC again? Not really. And that's nothing against Vitor. It's just there aren't that many interesting fights for him anymore in the UFC. And I don't think he's a he, you know he's a factor in the championship picture. So um, if he can go and make money elsewhere and be in new interesting matchups, I mean if he's in Bellator, he could fight Charles Sonnen, he could fight Vanderlei Silva again. That'd be a rematch. Yep. Um, and uh, you know there's there's you know there's fights around for him. So uh, and if he goes over to Rising, you never know. We could see him turn up as a flipping heavyweight and looking like an action figure again. We just don't know, right? So. Um, the options are there for Vitor Belfort, but uh, I'm not so sure the best option will be with the UFC. But we will see. The UFC might, from a business perspective, want to keep him around. Um, speaking of Brazilians and Brazilian middleweights, uh, Paulo Boracinha took on the holy war angel himself, Oluwali Bangbozi, in a fight that I think everybody was looking forward to just just for the crazy factor, it was going to be, I think Boricino, almost all of his wins would come in the first round by knockout or TKO. Bang Bozi, I think almost all of his wins have come in the first round by knockout or TKO. So obviously it went to the second round. So <laughs> we surprised, I think, pretty much everybody. Uh, Bang Bozi looked pretty gassed uh, in that second round. And then uh, Boricino, who paced himself pretty well during the first, took some big shots and then uh, came back and got Got himself a big win. Uh, the crowd loved it as well. So uh, he's someone we might see get a push. Um, he looks like someone to sort of keep an eye on moving forward. He's an exciting guy. Um, but two real, you know, real sluggers going at it, Sandu. It was uh, it was exciting stuff. Yeah, it was a, it was a really fun fight. And um, it was interesting because kind of coming into this one, I was thinking about Abdul Al-Razak Hassan from the Stockholm card just a week ago. Uh, there was a fighter, 7-0, and all his wins via first round knockout TKO, all within about 90 seconds or less, and he suffered his first loss to at the hands of Amari Akhmedov in Stockholm. And then I thought, right, okay, is history going to repeat itself here? This is MMA after all, it's such an unpredictable sport, will Paolo get his first loss? And, you know, like you said, Bambose just kind of really gassed himself out, and like I'm kind of surprised it ended up getting to the second round because the last 30 40 seconds of that first round um he was really kind of breathing deeply and heavy and uh paolo was starting to kind of tee off a little bit 
and uh, it didn't take too much more, you know, in the, in the second round, a minute in changing, and um, you know he he got you know his strikes off and got the finish, and you know he's got a good look, Simon. He's a he's a he's a good looking dude. He's muscular. He's strong. He's a knockout artist. He finishes fights. Um, he's a young he's a young guy, very marketable, um, especially uh, for that Brazilian market. Only twenty six years old. And, um, you know, when you, he's almost in a way like the 2017 version of a Vitor Belfort from 15 years ago, you know what I mean? Or 10 years ago. So, um, look, if he can keep on doing what he's doing and the UFC marketing machine gets behind him, especially in that Brazil market. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said earlier on, you know, Vitor's up there in age, lost, just lost Jose Aldo and Silva's not, uh, not a happy guy at the moment. Who knows what's happening with Chris Cyborg? You need to build up new stars for that Brazilian market, and he's definitely one of them. Yeah, for me, I think it makes total sense keep him, keep him down there in Brazil, keep him on those Brazilian cards, really build him as a fan favorite, and get a real groundswell of support behind him, and uh, just see if he can get a bit of momentum behind the guy because he looks like he might he might go away, and the middleweight division. Uh, you know they're looking for that second wave of young talent coming up. You know there's a lot of experienced guys at the top, um, but we're, you know they're they're looking for the next wave of contenders, um, and uh, he might be one of them in a few years' time. Who knows? But um, he's certainly one to watch. Paolo Boracchini. Uh The other main card fight, the one that kicked off the night, uh, Hawaii went two for two on the main card in Rio. Yancey Medeiros TKO finish of Eric Silva, an absolute peach of a left hook, sent Silva to the mat, and then uh, it didn't take too much more after that uh, for the ref to jump in. Stoppage looked a little bit early, uh, I've got to be honest. Silva looked like he was still... He, well, he, he looked like he was trying to work his way back to his feet, in fairness to him, but the fight was really only going one way at that point. Um, so I think it would have been finished soon after, but really impressive from Yancey Medeiros. Um, and uh, yeah, Hawaii have got have got uh, two fighters coming home. I, I, I'm sure you've probably seen it as well, Sandu. The UFC are putting on an event uh, for for media uh, and uh, and and the fans to attend like their their grand homecoming. Uh, so I, I don't know whether that's happening today as we're recording. It might even be happening right now uh, as as the pair of them get home from Rio de Janeiro. Uh, they're going to be greeted by uh, hordes of, uh, of baying fans over there in Hawaii. And it uh, looks like they're going to do a bit of media over there, which is very smart. And maybe it does mean they're thinking about a potential Hawaii event. Who knows? But it's good to see that they're giving, they're giving uh, Holloway in particular, but also Madeiras a little bit of that star treatment. Yeah, I mean, this is PR 101 from the UFC. They've done this a couple of times in the past. Um, it's a it's a good move uh, by them to to hold this event. It'll um, I remember they did it for uh, Joanna Janjacek when she won the championship and she was greeted uh, when she flew back to Poland. And um, I think they done it for Connor when he flew back to Dublin with the strap as well. And Holly and Holm as well in, uh, in Holly Holm Albuquerque. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, it, it's it's good. It's nice, you know. It um, it kind of gives a boost uh, to your new champion. And again, if this is kind of any um, inkling as to what's you know coming up down the road for max in terms of pr and marketing and stuff like that great although you know i'm sure you must have seen uh, the video that our friend john morgan shot uh, as max was kind of walking past uh, you know press row 
he wants that money. He wants those big paydays, as do, as do a lot of these champions who feel as though they earned it and they deserve it. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how this kind of plays out in terms of perhaps a new deal, um, pay-per-view points, things of that nature. Yeah, I think I think uh, we are in this era of, uh, you know, fighters haven't organised themselves into any kind of union or anything or any kind of organisation, but we are beginning to see fighters speak up. Uh, and I think that can only be good for their position further down the line. Obviously, there's going to be that initial sort of... Uh, collision if you like where uh, you know someone needs to put their head above the parapet and speak out but we've started to see it in a few different areas I know Cajun Johnson spoke up at the uh, at the fighter summit sorry the uh, the athlete retreat and some good things came from that from what I understand so who knows I mean I think I think if you're a world champion you deserve to be getting paid top dollar if you know if you're one of the best fighters on the planet of course you do. You should get paid for it. So, so we'll see what happens. You know, we're in a new era with a new owner, and uh, while they're going to be looking after their money, they also have to they also have to look after their assets as well. And the assets are, of course, the fighters. So, we'll see how all that pans out, and no doubt we'll, we'll you know we'll touch on that subject a little bit later on in the show. But um, just to wrap up, uh, a few other notables from the event: uh, Marlon Moraes uh, made his UFC debut this weekend. Uh, came in with a lot of a lot of momentum and a lot of hype behind him, but he lost. He lost by split decision to Rafael Asuncao, who's got to be one of the toughest guys to beat in that bantamweight division. He's just solid everywhere. And uh, if you beat uh, Rafael Asuncao, then you really deserve to be in a title fight. Um, Asuncao has yet to uh, put himself into a title fight, so that win should push him one step closer to that. Antonio Carlos Jr. versus Eric Spicely. Um, if you like your grappling, go back and watch this one. It was uh, it was a really fun, um, fascinating contest to watch. Two guys who really, really know their stuff on the mat. Um, and uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. picking out a second round sub. Um, word for Jimmy Warhead, who's in action on the uh, the fight pass, fight pass prelims. Um, lost out to Luan Chagas by second round submission. Um, he was disappointed with how he performed in his UFC debut against uh, Yesin Ayari in Hamburg, Germany. I thought Jimmy looked a lot better in this fight. Unfortunately, Chagas just looked that 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 half a step ahead of him, um, and uh, Chagas ended up getting the the uh, the submission in that second round. But the thing I wanted to talk to you about, Sandu, um, usually we come away from from UFC events and we're talking about a moment. There's normally a moment, a wow moment. Or something happens in a fight, and we come in. It you know, it's the water cooler moment. Whether it's a big knockout or uh, an amazing technique or a controversial decision or whatever it may be. Yeah, we had Max Holloway winning the world title against Jose Aldo, and that was amazing. But almost as amazing as that was Brian Boom Kelleher um, picked up a first round submission win over Yuri Alcantara, which in itself is a major major achievement. Because uh, Alcantara is legit on the, on the, on the ground, but ha- have you seen the promo that he cut on the microphone afterwards? Well, yeah. <laughs> it didn't mean to be a promo, but then it just turned into one of the great heel promos of, of all time, where uh, he started uh, mocking the uh, the fifteen thousand Brazilian fans that were in attendance and shushing them all, which went down like the proverbial shit sandwich with the. Uh, with all of the fans in attendance, and apparently they were chucking beer cans at him and stuff as he walked his way out. 
for him now to quickly usher him out of the building. But I thought that was outstanding. I thought it was brilliant. I've been saying it for so long. You get these moments on the microphone post-fight, and you need to just do something. Now, it could be calling out a fighter. Just get your personality across. That was all organic. That was all Brian. It was a great moment. It was fun. It was entertaining. I'm glad for him that he got out of Brazil safe and sound. There was, <laughs> there was extra security required to get him uh, escorted from, from the Octagon backstage. But look, it got everyone talking about him. You know, it got him a lot of headlines. And that's what you've got to do. You know, I mean, albeit it's got to be in you to be able to do something like that. Not everyone can do stuff like that. Um, no, not everybody has the kind of the personality uh, and the confidence to, to pull something like that off. But uh, Brian did and he did it with star points. He did and he picked himself up a $50,000 bonus check for performance of the night. I assume it was for the performance in the fight rather than the performance on the microphone. But either way, that was 50000 very well-deserved dollars for Brian Boom Kelleher, who called for a fight on the, uh, the Long Island card uh, in, the, in the Nassau Coliseum. Um, and uh, it's quite funny, in speaking backstage afterwards, talking to reporters backstage, he said that he made a mistake basically calling out the Brazilian fans because he wanted to get a message out to Dana White and Sean Shelby to ask them to put him on this Nassau Coliseum card. But because the crowd were booing so loud, he literally had to grab hold of the mic and, sh- and scream into it like a mad person to make sure that they, you know, to make sure he could be heard over the deafening booze. Our, our, our colleague John Morgan from MMA Junkie, uh, I spoke to him after the event, and he said he, that's as loud as he's ever heard a crowd boo somebody at an MMA event. So uh, he, picked up some, he picked up some serious heat, but he did pick up a very, very good win and $50,000. Uh, in the form of a, a performance of the night bonus check. Uh, a good night's work for Brian Kelleher. That wraps up UFC 212, Sandu. Um, should we do a bit of Q&A before we uh, move on to uh, the second half of the show? Let's do it. Uh, first one comes in from Wayne. He very smartly uh, attached a screenshot of his... Not even a question, it's more of a comment. And he says, I know it's not a question, but what can I say about Max Holloway? From the first time I saw him fight to the victory over Aldo. The evolution of the man is incredible. He weathered the Aldo storm first round. He knew he had he had him in the second when he started to goad Aldo. I can't wait to see his future fights. Please be Frankie next. I'm sure that would be a classic. Yeah, I mean I guess Frankie's the the one that everybody wants to see him fight next. That that's the one that makes the most sense. I know that Cub Swanson's you know got a pretty strong case himself. Uh, but in terms of marquee name value um a fight that can main or co-main a big pay-per-view you've got a former champion in frankie edgar he's always been a favorite of of dana white's he's recently signed a brand new contract and he just beat a hot young prospect in yaya rodriguez who everybody was kind of backing to beat frankie or at least most people were so that's the fight to make right simon i think so i think so I, i i can completely see cub swanson's position i think uh He's been there or thereabouts for a long time, and uh, I think he deserves his shot. And he was asked to take on Artem Lobov in a in a headliner, uh, in a fight that really he, they had no upside for him, zero upside in fight. All all due respect to Artem, you know there was a lot of upside for Artem in that fight. There's basically no upside for uh, for a Cub Swanson. So the fact that he took the fight, made no fuss about it, went about his business. 
and got an impressive win, he's kind of fulfilled his side of the bargain. And I think, I don't think that, you know, I, I, I don't think there should be any complaints if he did get the next shot. Um, but Frankie Edgar, for me, is the next best guy in the division. He's the next guy in the rankings. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, I think that's the more likely fight, to be honest. Unless timelines work out in Swanson's favour, I think the Edgar fight is the most likely one. If Aldo's going to carry on fighting, and right now you just don't know after you've suffered another loss like that, um, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Jose Aldo next, whether he's still got the appetite for it or whether he wants to move up to 55 and go for a new challenge or what. So be interesting to see what happens with Jose. But if he sticks around at 145, you could conceivably do Swanson versus Aldo again because there's a long time since those two fought. And if Swanson gets, Swanson gets past Aldo, then he's clearly the next guy. So um, that then allows you to do the Frankie Edgar fight. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be unhappy with either of them, but I think, I think Frankie... Frankie's probably the best contender available, but I think Swanson's the more deserving, if that makes it. It sounds like a bit of a contradiction, but that's kind of how I see it. Mickey uh, sends a couple of tweets in. The first one, he says, John McCarthy seemed determined to let Jose Aldo die before stopping that fight about, uh, about 150 punches too late. And his second tweet is, surely we have to see a UFC Hawaii now Max Holloway is a true champ. What do you think? The Brit Pack. Uh, great fight, pure class. Look, you know, John McCarthy, one of the best in the business, no doubt about that. Could he have stopped it a little bit sooner? Yes. Um, but I think we go back to the point you made earlier on the show, Simon, where I think uh, champions, especially long-standing champions, are just given that extra 10-15%, uh, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, and just given a little bit extra time to see if they can recover. Um, so... In a way, I don't have a problem with it, but at the same time, you want to see consistency across the board. It doesn't matter what fight it is, and they are there for the protection of the fighter. Um, we still don't know the sport's so young what some of the long-term effects of the sport will be when these fighters hit 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. We've obviously seen um, you know, some of the boxers uh, coming out of that sport you know, you know, know, across the board in recent years. and you know, I understand why people might be frustrated with John McCarthy, but no official or no a referee is absolutely perfect, but when you look at the track record, him alongside Mark Goddard and alongside Herb Dean tend to get most of the decisions right most of the time, and that's pretty much all you can ask for in this day and age. Yeah, t- I totally agree. You know, I, I do think if you go back and watch the finish, yeah, you had this situation where visually you have one guy on top of another guy basically pounding away at him. But if you look at how many of those strikes actually landed clean, uh, Aldo was doing a pretty good job of tying up Holloway for a lot of that. Um, and we know that Aldo is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, um, but we don't see much of it in fights. He got badly rocked by the knockdown, and he looked to me like he was clearly trying to stall uh, Holloway and just tie him up so he could sort of clear the cobwebs and then try and work his way out. Unfortunately, Holloway just didn't let up and eventually, it got to the stage where Aldo, he, he gave up his back for a choke. I think he almost was almost inviting Holloway to try and choke him so that he could uh, sort of try and work his way out of that position rather than keep taking shots. 
Um, Holloway thought about it, changed his mind, said, no, I'm, I'm just going to keep hitting him. And uh, at that point, Aldo kind of turtled up, face down, and I think at that point we knew the fight was over. Uh, I think Big John shouted at him a couple of times to move. He didn't move, so he stopped the fight. I didn't think it was that bad a stoppage. I really don't. It wasn't like he was taking... Re- you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like uh, Neil Magny and Hector Lombard, which was, which was just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. But, uh, yeah, maybe, may, you know, maybe could it have been stopped a little earlier? Maybe a little earlier, but not much. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hammer Big John for that. Next tweet says, Seeing as Cub took one for the team and fought unranked Artem, does he deserve the first crack at Max's title? Cheers, boys. We just spoke about this. Yeah. Um, it looks like Frankie's going to get the next shot, uh, but we both wouldn't be surprised if they gave it to Cub. Um, but given the track record and what, they, what they're doing now with the new ownership, it looks like it'll probably be Frankie. But first things first, um, you know, they've got to get a new deal done with uh, Holloway. That's what he wants. He wants his big payday. So it's time to get, them, time to get down to the uh, negotiation table. Um, the next couple of tweets come in from the MMA Mana. It's, it's three. So I'm going to read them all out back to back and see how, uh, how we can get through these. Right. So with the Korean zombie out of the Llamas fight, who should replace him? Second question. Is there a better closer in the UFC than Max Holloway? And the final tweet is, sorry for bombarding with you guys with questions, but what is your take on Mighty Mouse's statement? So let's go through the first one. Have you seen a Korean Zombie's Instagram post, Simon? I haven't, to be honest with you, no. It's really, really kind of sad state of affairs uh, in regards to, you know, he was already out for so long, and now he's come back with yet another injury. It's an ACL, he, isn't it? He basically um, posted a screenshot which says, complete rupture ACL, complete rupture MCL, bone bruise, uh, lat femoral condyle, and a discoid LM, which I'm assuming sounds pretty bad, and is pretty bad. Um, and he's going to be out a while, essentially, which is really sad considering he only just recently made his comeback. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess he was supposed to fight Lamas, uh, Simon. Um, who do you think makes sense for him? I mean, if he was supposed to fight, uh, this, this might actually work out quite well. If we, end up, if we end up with Max Holloway, Frankie Edgar next, what about Cub Swanson, Ricardo Lamas, right? Because that way, it keeps Cub busy. He, Cub's currently ranked number four in the official UFC rankings. Ricardo Lamas is currently ranked number three, so he's one place ahead of him. He beats Ricardo Lamas, cuts a promo, I want the winner of Frankie Holloway. That's the move here, right? I think so. It's also a rematch of uh, a fight that they had back in 2011. Mm. Uh, Ricardo Lamas got the win back then. Uh, Second round arm triangle choke, he says, reading Wikipedia. Um, But yeah, so... It's been long enough since they last fought that they could do that again. So it's not too, you know, it isn't too recent. Um, yeah, I mean, the only, the only, the only downside to that would be you're giving Cubs slightly, slightly less notice. But I mean, it's long enough. I think it's probably okay. Um, failing that, then I think I think you sling a young contender in there. Someone, I mean, Yaya Rodriguez would be a contender if he hadn't had such a beating at the hands of. Frankie Edgar, if he was good to go again, 
Um, I suspect he's on a medical suspension right now, but um, he would be someone you could throw in there. Um, Anthony Pettis hasn't fought in a while. I don't know if he's available. But, I mean, you, you know, you could even look further down. Someone like Duho Choi, Masab Bektik. Well, Bektik's coming off a loss. So, Brian Ortega, well, you know, he, he's, he's another guy who hasn't really fought a top, top guy yet. Um, and uh, he would be an interesting test for Ricardo Lamas as well. So, you know, in that featherweight division, there are so many, so many good fighters of so many varying styles as well. That, you know, I think the matchmakers are pretty much sport for choice when it comes to making making those matches at 145. So I think Swanson would be the most common sense move, though. Then you've, assuming that they do Holloway-Edgar, then you've got, you basically got the champion versus number one, and then you've got number three versus number four, based well, depending on wherever Jose Aldo sits in the rankings now. So uh, they haven't come out yet, as if, as if they really matter. But uh, yeah, so... But yeah, you've got Lamas and Swanson. They're, they're, they're right there alongside each other in the rankings. That won't make a lot of sense. And the second part of the question, is, or the second question is, is there a better closer in the UFC than Max Holloway? I'm not too sure about this one. Looking at Max's record, 21 <coughs> total fights, and of his 18 wins, eight are by knockout, two are by submission, and eight are by decision. Now, having said that, Finishing Anthony Pettis and Jose Aldo back-to-back is pretty darn phenomenal. So if we're going on recent victories, recent memory, we're talking like the last six months to a year, then yeah. <laughs> you know, at one point, Jose Aldo and Anthony Pettis were supposed to be, you know, uh, fight each other in what was going to be a super fight, Anthony Pettis coming down to fight Jose at featherweight when he was the lightweight champion. Um, so to kind of get them on his resume, uh, both of TKO finishes, that's absolutely phenomenal. But in regards to just being able to shut down your opponent and finish fights, is there anyone better than Max that comes to mind, Simon? Demetrius Johnson springs to mind straight away. Uh, he dominates opponents more than any other fighter in the UFC. And he finishes them as well. You know, he, he isn't just grinding out five rounds GSP style. He, he, he basically grinds away, chips away, works out how he wants to beat you and then beats you. Um, and uh, it doesn't matter what time in the fight it is. As we know from, uh, from, 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 from his career, he's, he's gone and done it in the last second of the last round. You know, it, it, it's, uh, I, I think Demetrius Johnson is the best closer in the UFC. He's the best fighter in the UFC. So, uh, yeah, I would, I would say him. And that's a nice segue to the final question from the MMA manner. And it's referring to Demetrius Johnson's statement from earlier today. And obviously I'm not going to read the entire statement out on the show because that will take about a good five minutes or so. But I do urge anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about in this segment of the show to go to any any MMA media outlet website. I'll obviously refer you to MMAjunkie.com. Uh, they've got the full statement um, on the site in, embedded into the story. But essentially, it's coming down to Johnson not being happy with the UFC and being very kind of descriptive with his feelings in regards to what's been going on with this whole Ray Borg fight, TJ Dillashaw perhaps dropping down to fight him, fights that he accepted, uh, the terms of the the conditions of the fight with regards to uh, money and pay-per-view points and et cetera, et cetera. 
it's you know we've seen fighters make outbursts like this in the past where they're not happy with pay or circumstances Reebok deal USADA etc etc but for somebody as respected as Demetrius Johnson somebody that's been a true professional a long-standing champion who is on the verge of breaking Anson Silva's title defense record someone that has stepped up when the UFC have needed him Someone that pretty much just kind of quietly goes about his business and essentially does what the UFC wanted to do. When he essentially, you know, holds his ground for the betterment of his career, the financial security of his family, um, it's, it's, it's pretty damning stuff. I have to say, it's pretty damning stuff. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of stuff happen now in the last kind of six months to a year, which you would think would galvanize the fighters to come together, but it hasn't really happened as yet. Will this do it? I'm not too sure. Um, the track record doesn't seem to indicate that it will. But this is a massive, massive story. And I think some, it's, it's one of those that's going to have a lot of layers to it. And I'm sure as the days and weeks kind of unfold here, this is going to be um, a, a big, big story and a big headline in our world. Because we're now going to have to wait to see what the UFC's response is to Demetrius Johnson's comments, especially those directed you know, specifically uh, Dana White and Sean Shelby, um, what were your kind of thoughts and take? Your, what was your take on uh, on reading that today, Simon? Well, the first the first thing that struck me was this isn't a disgruntled moaner of a fighter. You know, this isn't a guy who has a track record of complaining. This is this is a guy who keeps his head down and basically just gets on with it. He he's not a controversial character at all. Um, He's been a company man throughout his whole career. He's gone about his himself and, and his business with utter professionalism and and uh, and poise and class. Um, and I've had the I've had the good fortune to interview him a couple of times, and you know uh, a classier guy you couldn't you couldn't wish to meet. But clearly, clearly he's had enough of of of, of what's been going on as as you know as he sees it. So. The fact that it's coming from him, I think, carries a lot more weight than, let's say, Al Iaquinta going off on the MMA hour like he did uh, a few weeks ago and then going off subsequently. Um, that's not to say Al doesn't have his own points. It's just that the way Demetrius has gone about explaining and communicating his grievance, um, he's done it in a much, much clearer, cooler, clear-headed way. Um, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of room for misinterpretation in in in, in what he's put. Um, so the ball is really in the UFC's court right now. Um, it's interesting how he seems to almost have pitched the UFC against itself. Um, he refers to Mick Maynard quite a lot, and almost in a in a, in a positive way, as if Mick Maynard was sort of tr understanding of you know a lot of Demetrius's concerns and and thoughts about the you know the matchmaking process for his next fight but then some of the comments that Demetrius has made with regard to Sean Shelby and Dana White far less far less um complimentary shall we say now until you know I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see, to see what the UFC come out with but for someone like Demetrius to come out and say these things is 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 a worry, uh, because I don't think he's the sort of guy who would kick up a fuss just to you know just to get attention, or just for the hell of it. 
Um, I don't know what his contractual situation is. As far as I'm aware, he's probably in the middle of a contract right now. So it's not like he's in the middle of, an, of any kind of negotiation period either. So it's not for that. So it's a worry. And and the thing that the thing that is, if, if if there's an issue in terms of the way that the fighters feel about how they're being treated, how they're being uh, dealt with, you know, fight to fight, or whether it's athlete pay, sponsorship, whatever it might be, individuals can make a little bit of noise, but then it just goes into the ether after a while. And if one individual continues to make noise, they almost get considered a bit of a, a bit of an outlier, you know. Um, what? But when the big names start to speak up, that's when, that's when, you know, the ears start to prick up a little bit. Imagine what would happen if Conor McGregor suddenly came out and said, you know what, Demetrius is spot on, and this is why, bang, 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 bang. But it's unlikely to happen because Conor's doing all right. He's in a good spot. He's he's the one guy who probably doesn't have much to complain about, right? So that's why that's unlikely. But Demetrius is what he's the best fighter on the planet. He's running out of people to fight. He's not been marketed brilliantly, and he's made a big point of that in his, his statement. So... Yeah, I don't know where this is going, but and it's going to be interesting to see who Demetrius Johnson does fight next. Because if he fights TJ Dillashaw next, that almost looks like the UFC have got what they want. If he fights Ray Borg next, then it, it, it suggests that the UFC have, 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 have acquiesced a little bit and Demetrius has, 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 uh, has sort of moved forward. So, um, yeah, really, really interesting to see what happens here. Um from a personal point of view, I you know I want to see the fighters get everything that they deserve, and if if they don't think that they're being treated right, I think they're within their rights to say so. But without that collective bargaining, without that union or that that fighter organisation to give them the added clout of not just speaking for one, but speaking for seven hundred contracted fighters, then that's going to be very difficult to make any kind of dent. Unless you are a super a pay per view superstar like Conor McGregor uh, because he's worth a lot of money to the UFC Demetrius Johnson while being the biggest or you know the uh, the best fighter in the UFC he isn't the biggest draw so if he were to disappear UFC wouldn't miss him as much as if Conor decided to walk away so that's why you need that collective bargaining everyone needs to be in it together uh, and trying to mobilize 700 independent contractors is a very difficult thing to do so, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see where this one goes. It's a, it's, it's a tricky one. And, of course, we've only had one side of the story so far. So the UFC's response, if we get one, will be very interesting. Yeah, you talk about collective bargaining. I wonder how flyweights in the UFC feel right now where Demetrius Johnson is accusing Dana White of essentially saying if he didn't take the fight with TJ, he would scrap the entire division. Now, yeah. that is a unbelievable statement by Demetrius Johnson and yeah if you imagine being a UFC flyweight right now and reading that and again like you said Demetrius Johnson isn't the kind of person that's just going to blurt out something like that but that, that perhaps a, a hot-tempered ally Quinter would right so that's it, it's, it appears it's all coming from a genuine genuine honest place and um, if this can't get the fires together Honestly, God help them in the long term in regards to um, getting what they want out of this sport financially for the well-being of their their family's future and their long-term future as well. Um, the final question this week comes from Paul James. 
And he says, does Jimmy Manoa have more than a puncher's chance in a title fight? Not seen much of a ground game. So if he gets taken down, I see him struggling. Look, Manoa's a headhunter. He's a knockout artist. Um, I actually think his grappling uh, and especially his takedown defense um, has improved um, over the last couple of years. Um, you know, the Volkan Ozdemir fight, which is coming up now on that UFC 214 card, which actually, just as a quick note on that card, is a phenomenally stacked card. Phenom- I can't wait until we do the show that week to talk about that card. That's going to be a belter. But it um, doesn't look like Volkan's going to be the one that's going to give him too many troubles on the ground, to be fair. I think that'll be a, a slobber knocker, as, uh, as good old JR would say. Um, but yeah, if he does get into that um, into a title fight with DC or John Jones, especially with DC, if DC does does beat John Jones, that's where I can really see Jimmy have some major major problems because uh, Cormier is just a phenomenal grappler, phenomenal wrestler. He utilizes it super super well in his MMA game, and uh, yeah, Jimmy's going to have to be firing on all cylinders that night if he's going to avoid um, you know any problems on the ground there. But um, I mean, what's your take on Jimmy's ground game or lack thereof uh, and how he might fare either against John Jones or DC uh, should he be successful against Falcon Osdemir and should the UFC actually grant him that title shot? It's almost impossible to comment on Jimmy Manoa's ground game because we've not really seen it. Um, what we do know is that his takedown defence has improved absolutely ridiculously since he's gone up to, uh, to All-Stars. Um, in in Sweden, and uh, we saw it in his last fight against a very very accomplished wrestler in Corey Anderson, um, and uh, he stuffed everything that Anderson had to offer in the takedown apartment. Now, stuffing a, a collegiate, you know, a top level collegiate wrestler is one thing. Stuffing the takedowns of a world champion UFC fighter, who is also a, a two time Olympian. That's a different thing altogether. So if Jimmy is able to keep the fight standing, and I'll say this, against John Jones and against Daniel Cormier, if he's able to keep the fight standing, Jimmy has a hell of a chance. I think he, I really do believe that. He's, you put him in a stand-up fight against either of those two, he has got a hell of a chance. Because there aren't many people who can hit as hard as him, uh, as consistently as he does. Uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson was arguably the only guy. Uh, he's now no longer in that division. So the key to this is, can he stop the fight going to the mat? And against John Jones, I think Jones will be less inclined to take him down, but I think might eventually, uh, which which opens a window for Jimmy to at least stand and trade with him early on. But against DC, I don't see anything other than DC just pursuing the takedown. I don't think DC will want any part of the stand-up with, uh, with, with Jimmy Manoa. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Take-down defense against an Olympic wrestler is a big ask. But uh, if he keeps it standing, things can get very, very interesting. And uh, I would love to see it. Is that, is that uh, non-committal enough? <laughs> I will- <laughs> That's uh, pretty much what we get from you, Simon, these days. What can I say? My, my, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm picking the splinters out of my backside as I speak. No, in, in, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, if, if Cormier gets Manoa to the mat, I don't think it's going to be a good night for Jimmy. In all, in all fairness, yeah, it's all, it's all about whether he can stop him from taking him to the mat. And 
Again, that's a big ask as well. But against Jones, I think Jones and Jones's ego might give Jimmy the chance to knock him out on the feet. Give him the chance to. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I think he'd be, as, I think be as, a big underdog in either fight, though. Of course. As British journalists, hopefully we'll get the chance to see that um, you know, fight play out. It'll be great to see Jimmy just have the opportunity to fight for a title. Um, my gut says, though, considering the recent win by Gustafsson, regardless of who wins between DC and John Jones, he's going to be next in line, which will be a bit of a pity for Manua. Unless, of course, he gets a David Hay fight at the O2 Arena next March, which if he does, happy days all round. But we'll cross that bridge if and when we get to it. That is the end of this week's Q&A segment, Simon. Great stuff, great stuff. And uh, that, that throws us on to the final part of the show uh, as we look ahead to what's coming up this coming weekend. Auckland, New Zealand plays host to UFC Fight Night 110 as two of the most terrifying people in the UFC heavyweight division, the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, and the Super Samoa Mark Hunt go toe-to-toe uh, in the main event. This is just going to be a crazy main event. I don't know how long it's going to last. I have no idea who's going to win. Someone's going to get hurt. That's all. That's pretty. That, that's pretty much where my prediction is right now. I've got to do a video prediction this week, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to try and do that tomorrow. So I, I suppose I better come up with a prediction sharpish. Looking at Derek Lewis, he's the man on form, right? He's won his last six, five of those inside the distance. Mark Hunt technically technically has lost his last two but of course the first one of those two was to Brock Lesnar uh, and we all know what happened there that's been reduced to a no contest but he hasn't won a fight since March 2016 uh, when he when he, uh, when he he knocked out Frank Mir walk off knockout um, they're both ranked next to each other in the UFC rankings momentum plays a lot in this sport so I'm siding slightly with Derek Lewis but Derek Lewis has been knocked out before and Mark Hunt could knock out an elephant. So this really is a pick'em. I really do think it's a pick'em. And how how motivated is Mark Hunt right now? It's 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 a big you know. It really is a tough one to pick this. Well, you talk about motivation, Simon. I don't know how motivated he is to continue to fight for the UFC after this fight. I don't know how motivated he is to continue to fight. Period after this fight. But if you haven't seen it, I urge everybody to go check out or just Google Mark Hunt. Hacker, and you will see his entire gym and team and fellow fighters, including one Jason Momoa, who people might know famous for his role as Carl Drogo from Game of Thrones, and he's also playing Aquaman in uh, the up-and-coming uh, DC um, comic book adaptation of the Justice League, and uh, he's involved in there, and it's phenomenal. It's it's. It's very, very kind of intense. Mark is just there. He posted it on his Instagram. It went viral. And he's just, he's just kind of absorbing it all in uh, before he you know, went over to Auckland uh, for fight week. Um, so if that's not going to be motivation, I don't know what would uh, you know, light the fire under his backside. Um, but if you look at Mark Hunt's kind of recent you know, losses, maybe the most recent one against Alistair Overeem, Alistair Overeem is a very technical heavyweight striker. Derek Lewis isn't that technical. He's just going to try to knock your block off. Um, and uh, I've not been too impressed with Lewis's gas tank either. Um, so if you're, if you're giving me two knockout artists, two heavyweights, who are obviously you know, going to be 
aiming for each of the skulls. Uh, I'm going to take Mark Hunt's technical ability um, over the um, the slugger that is Derek Lewis, if you want a prediction. But whatever happens, it's going to be a very entertaining fight. Someone's definitely going to get knocked the F out, and um, it's not going to last all five rounds, no way. No, it's the, it's the irresistible force versus the immovable object, isn't it, this one? It really is. Um, I think Lewis's striking is underrated. You watch him work in the midst with the crew, Bob Perez, his coach. Mm-hmm. He's got fast hands. He's got. You just don't see them in the fight. He doesn't throw punches like that in fights, which confuses me because he's got he's got it in the gas tank to just really throw some stinging stuff. It's good straight punches. I've seen it up close in Vegas. I, I, I was actually fortunate enough to go to a private training session of his at the Bishop Gorman gym in, in Vegas and watched him working the hands with, uh, with, with, with coach Bob Perez and his hands are good and they're fast. And obviously we know he can bang, but when he gets in there, he just winds his punches up. It's not, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's weird. It's like he almost forgets half the technique he knows. And I think if he can keep disciplined and, and really, really fight smartly, I think he can do it. But, I think the key for him is going to be getting hold of Mark Hunt and getting him to the mat. I think if he gets on top of Mark Hunt, then I think I think he smashes him. But if he stands toe-to-toe with Mark Hunt for too long, then I think we all know what direction that fight's going to go. So um, it's an interesting matchup. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, the atmosphere down there in Auckland um, for for Mark Hunt will be will be pretty special. The British and Irish Lions are touring down there as well at the moment. I don't know whether I don't know whether they're in town for that one, but uh, that would be pretty cool. See the Lions at the uh, at the UFC. That would be very very cool. But you might see a few Lions fans in the building. That would be interesting to see. Look out for the red shirts on Fight Night. The British and Irish Lions fans. That's something I want to do before uh, before I curl up my toes and say cheerio. Do a British Lions tour. That is special. But anyway, back to MMA co-main event. Um, in Auckland, New Zealand. This is a really interesting fight at middleweight. Derek Brunson versus Dan Kelly. Derek Brunson's ranked 8th in the world. Uh, he's coming off the back of back-to-back losses. Robert Whittaker TKO'd him, and then he went to uh, a decision with Anderson Silva, which the judges thought the Silva won. I think most people watching gave that fight to Derek Brunson, uh, including me. I thought Brunson won that fight. But on the uh, on the docket, as they say in America, he's running back-to-back losses. Taking on Dan Kelly, ranked 15th in the world, uh, 39 years of age, doing it for the old guys. Uh, and uh, this is his first fight against a top 10 ranked guy. He's won his last four. Steve Montgomery, Antonio Carlos Jr., Chris Camozzi, and most recently Rashad Evans. But this is a big one. If he beats Derek Brunson, all of a sudden he's a top 10 middleweight in the UFC and he's rapidly approaching the big 4-0. Um, he's as close to home soil as he's going to get without without it being down there in Melbourne, I would imagine. So, is he going to get this one done, or is Brunson is Brunson going to run through him? It's uh, is this where the Dan Kelly dad bod gravy train runs dry? Do you think, Simon? I'll be honest. Aside from this main event, I'm not really emotionally invested in much of this card. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I'm just being honest. Um, I know. We're going to run through some fights here. But the care-don't-care on this card is very much lying mostly in the don't-care. You know, you've set up up the co-main event nicely. 
um, that's definitely um, the angle and the storyline coming into uh, this fight for both these guys. But, I mean, let's be honest. Is the UFC really going to push Dan Kelly even if he beats Derek Brunson when he's approaching 40 years old? No, he's not. You know, is it going to mean anything if he breaks into the top 10 of the UFC rankings, which are worthless anyway? No, it's not. I think for Dan Kelly, if he can get a win, you know, uh, in his neck of the woods, so to speak, um, in that part of the world, good for him. He's got a co-main event slot, good for him. Um, I think for him, he's just trying to get as many fights as possible while he's still um, healthy enough and his, and, his, and his body's able to kind of hold together as long as possible to pick up as many paychecks as he can and just take it from there. I think if anyone's got, um, you know, you know, pressure coming into this fight. Derek Brunson, you know, he was looking really, really good um, up until, you know, last November. And now he's, you know, fought Robert Whitaker and Anderson Silva and lost, you know, two fights back to back. If he can't beat Dan Kelly, then, I mean, what does that say, to, you know, what does that say about your uh, future in the UFC? That would be three losses on, on, on the trot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose I've kind of talked myself into it a little bit into caring slightly about this co-main event. Uh, but it's definitely more, in a sense, caring where what is this fight going to do and mean for Derek Brunson? Because he is the one that needs to really win for the long term, for the longevity of his UFC career, not Dan Kelly. Yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree with that. I think, I think Dan Kelly's looking to, looking to get himself as high as he can. Derek Brunson wants to be a contender, doesn't he? Um, and uh, he went in there with Robert Whittaker, fought terribly in terms of his game plan got stopped uh, by by Whitaker. I think he got rubbed on the cards against Anderson Silva but nonetheless you know the record shows he's running two consecutive losses he needs this this is this is this is win or bust time for 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 Derek Brunson so that's the co-main event as you say Sandu and I'm not going to run down a card um there are there are a few fights of interest on there. Dan Hooker's fighting Ross Pearson. That's a fight that's worth watching. Dan Hooker is always entertaining to watch. Uh, he'll get a lot of local support. Ross Pearson, obviously, uh, he has family in that part of the world as well. Um, he needs a win. He needs a he win. Does. And yep. he, he's going into this with a point to prove. So from a British perspective, Britpack perspective, Ross Pearson is the guy we're going to be keeping a very close eye on. Uh, when he takes on the hangman, Dan Hooker. Uh, interesting fight at flyweight. Tim Elliott taking on Ben 10 win. That'll be an interesting fight. And uh, the only other thing of note to mention on this fight card is the man with the best nickname in MMA is in action on this card. Non-stop, action-packed Dominique Steele is in action <laughs> on this card. And that's what... I don't know if Bruce Buffer's doing this trip. Quite often, uh, Joe Martinez ends up down there but uh, I don't think there's any event clashes or anything. So um, you know Bruce Buffer enjoys giving it a little bit of the non-stop action-packed Dominic Steele when uh, when he's on the mic. So uh, that's all we've got for UFC Fight Night 110. Lewis versus Hunt. Uh, check your TV listings. Uh, I don't know whether the start times are going to be that different because uh, I think it is still geared for Fox... Uh, Fox Sports in America. I don't, is this a Fight Pass show or a Fox Sports show? Off top of this, my, off the um, top of my head, I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, if it's on Fox Sports, you can expect it to be. On it a is. Cent- it's yeah? on Fox Sports. Yeah. Right. So you can expect it to be the usual late night start. Probably, 
the usual one one a.m. prelims, three a.m. And that's incredible, cards. Simon. It's going to be this card with Fox Sports pacing. Are you kidding me? Get the beers in, Sandy. <laughs> get, <laughs> get. I mean, like, I don't want to be too hard on the UFC and the and the fighters on this particular card. And it is in in a period where there's a lot of UFC events taking place back to back to back. It's Stockholm, Rio, Auckland, and then Singapore. Um, uh, and maybe they don't have the resources uh, to really kind of think things out a little bit and make the right fights with the right markets and promote them properly and uh, and get the right storylines going for fights. I, I don't know, um, but Jesus Christ, yes, yeah, Fox Sports One pacing with this card. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to really kind of stay up and watch this one live. I might just kind of set my alarm, wake up at three, tune in for the main card. Um, I'm invested in that Ross Pearson fight because Ross is a good dude. Uh, we've interviewed him a hell of a lot of times in the past, and you're right, he desperately, desperately needs a win here. Um, and I'm definitely going to be tuning in for that main event because that's going to be a, a banger. Yeah, absolutely. So that is your next UFC event, June the 11th. Uh, from the Spark Arena. Who will be knocked Spark out at the Spark Arena? <laughs> Was it really the Spark Arena? It's at the Spark Arena. <laughs> These things write themselves, Sandu. Brilliant. And, um, in Auckland, New Zealand, UFC, UFC Fight Night 110 or UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Hunt uh, takes place this weekend. We will give you a full and comprehensive recap of the top three fights on next week's show uh, here on the Brit Pack. And that, Sandu, remarkably, brings us to the end of the show at some sort of sensible time. Um, thank you for joining us. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. Follow Sandu. He needs the followers. Uh, at Sandu MMA. Um, follow me, at Simon Head. Follow the show, at the Brit Pack MMA. That is also the Twitter account to fire all your MMA-related questions to. Do that anytime, day or night during the week. We will, or Sandu will, keep his eye on. Uh, he, he watches that mentions mentions uh, feed like a hawk. So uh, we always make sure we've got the best questions uh, on the following week's show. Check out the website, thebritpackmma.com. Uh, subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, via Stitcher, via SoundCloud, and via Acast as well. Um, that's pretty much all we've got time for on this week's show. We will be back in a week's time as we look back. I'm Derek Lewis versus Narcan.